Welcome in to episode three of the Stretch Big Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Bigelow. And if you are tuning into this episode, you likely know that for the first time since the 1992-93 season, the Nebraska men's basketball program is 7-0 to start the year. Yes, the non-conference slate has been not all that uh, competitive, but they have taken care of business. They have done their job. As Fred Hoiberg said, after the Cal State Fortin game on Sunday, these are games they were supposed to win. They are right where they should be. Uh, but 7-0 looks pretty darn good. Um, if you follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter, you would have seen my post saying that the last time Nebraska won a basketball game to improve to 7-0 prior to Sunday was on December 21st of the year 1992, the number one movie in America at the box office. Remember going to the movies? Remember when box office numbers mattered? Was A Few Good Men, and the number one song on the charts was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. I would hit that high note, but I know no one wants to hear that right now. Um, So for the first time in 30-plus years, Nebraska basketball 7-0 to start a season, um, and they're coming off uh, wins over Duquesne and Cal State Fullerton. That's kind of what this episode's going to be, just a preface. It's going to be a look back on the last two games, not going to be a play-by-play recap, but just kind of things I liked, things I didn't like, um, things that made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Um, We're going to have a Creighton preview later in the week. I'm going to wait until Creighton's next game. They travel to Stillwater, Oklahoma on Thursday to old Gallagher-Iba Arena as part of the Big 12 Big East Battle event. They take on the Cowboys on Thursday on ESPN. I will tune into that game, um, and that will be Creighton's first game in a week after they were drubbed at the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City 69-48 by Colorado State on Thanksgiving Day. I've Watched that Colorado State game back a couple times. I've had some conversations with a member of Colorado State's coaching staff. I know that staff really well, Nico Medved, one of the better mid-major coaches in the country. I expect him to make the leap to a power conference job, probably in the Big Ten, uh, if things go the way I think they'll go up in Minneapolis this year. I think he'll be the top candidate to be the new head gopher. But we need to get through this year first. Colorado State... I will say is no slouch. You won't find five guards in the country better than Isaiah Stevens. But we will see how Creighton bounces back against Oklahoma State on Thursday night, and then we'll have a Creighton preview up just in time for the game on Sunday at PBA between Nebraska and Creighton, what is shaping up to probably be, so far, the biggest game of the Fred Hoiberg era at Nebraska, definitely the biggest measuring stick game that uh, we've had on this on you know on in the Hoiberg era, and there'll be plenty to talk about throughout this week leading up to the game on Sunday. But looking back, um, by the time this drops, the Duquesne game will have almost been a week ago. But the night before Thanksgiving in Lincoln, Nebraska dispatches the Dukes, eighty-nine to seventy-nine. Duquesne, as I said uh, last week, definitely the toughest opponent on the non-con ledger for Nebraska. Prior to Creighton, they're sitting at 80 in Ken Palm right now. 
And they're a tough team, man. They're tough. Um, I taught, I told everybody about that backcourt, Day-Day Grant, Jimmy Clark the third. Clark had 15, Grant had 24. Their third guard, Kareem Rozier, had 16. That was the majority of their scoring. But the second half was the difference. Nebraska, um, after a first half that was kind of back and forth, tail of two halves kind of thing, back and forth, sloppy, a lot of fouls. Not very aesthetically pleasing to watch. Um, Day-Day Grant quickly became a crowd favorite with, sh- uh, with showing off his uh, degree from the James Harden School of Guard Ball Handling and Flopping. Uh, a lot of free throws. It was it was kind of ugly. Duquesne was kind of beating Nebraska at their own game. They were getting to 50-50 balls. They were crashing the glass. They were making the effort plays. Um, and they led at the half 39-37. Duquesne out-rebounded Nebraska 22-18 in the first half. They out-rebounded them 37-29 for the game. Uh, that was definitely the first time Nebraska had kind of been, had not kind of, they were out outdone on the glass. Um, and Duquesne you know, came into PBA, they out-rebounded them, and they, held, they hung tough. But the game changed within the first couple minutes of the second half. Uh, after Nebraska allowed the most first-half points they'd allowed all season, Duquesne was called for five fouls in less than the first two minutes of the second half. They had got called for 14 second-half fouls. They had a couple guys fall, foul out, including Clark, who was their second-leading scorer. Nebraska scored on their first 18 possessions to start the second half. That included a 13-0 run to kind of put the game on ice. Duquesne had a late run to cut it to 7, 10-0 run. Another example of Nebraska getting up big and kind of being on cruise control, allowing the game to get a little closer than it, you know, have the final score make it look a little closer than it actually was. But Nebraska, 89-79, they had a couple, they had four of the five starters in double figures led by Keisei Tomonaga, and it wasn't him going nuclear from three. He went 9 of 10 from the free throw line. Uh, Nebraska finished 28-31 against Duquesne, which um, may have been the most impressive thing until you look at the box score and saw the 18 assists to only two turnovers in 40 minutes of basketball. The only two turnovers of the game were ranked masked. They were early in the game, but they were, that was it for the game. And against a high-pressure, you know, get in, get in your face, um, high-pressure defense like Duquesne to only turn the ball over twice, that was really impressive. Um, so that was last Wednesday. Um, like I said, you know, Duquesne, I saw some people say that, you know, after the Duquesne game that all Nebraska had done is play, you know, play your way out of a plastic bag opponents. Duquesne is no slouch. I think they have a good shot to win the A-10, which is a really good basketball conference. And I mean, yeah, they're the only, uh, team above, you know, they're the only, Team above 100 that Nebraska's played in the in the non-con so far. The next highest is Oregon State, who's sitting at 190. But uh, it's a whole different animal you know, starting on Sunday. But there, there was, you know, it was the balance. The balance continues to be the thing for for this Nebraska team. You know, if you when you can look at this box score, you see four of the five starters in double figures. Juwan Gary with 20 off the bench. He once again been providing an instant impact, an instant spark the minute he gets in. He was hitting his threes. He was two of four from three. He made all his free throws. But I think the most interesting thing that I heard come out of this Duquesne game, I mean, we, we, we heard from Gary after the game, and he was, you know, 
you know, that he was he was pretty honest there. He said Duquesne was beating them to every 50-50 ball. They're getting the offensive rebounds. And Juwan Gary said they were just emphasized, we need to play Nebraska basketball. We need to play our game. Um, they knew, I, we could sense it from Fred Hoiberg, they, they were drilling into the guys how good Duquesne is. And um, you know, we had the three, got three players after the game, Gary, Boogie Coleman, and Kaysay, and Boogie Coleman, you know, the most experienced veteran on the team, you know, he talked about how with a pressure defense like Duquesne, the goal is obviously to try to make you play faster. That's the strength of it. But another thing that I heard from Jawan Gary after the Duquesne game that I really liked, you know, we talked about it on the you know last episode, was asking how long it is until he slides in into the starting lineup as that fourth starter. Um, and he gave a really smart, really thoughtful answer, said that, you know, on the bench, you get a better look at you know the flow of the game, the opponent's you know defensive game plan, you know where you may have a you know point of attack. And I thought that was a really, really thoughtful answer from him. Um, I th- think it'll be you know probably matchup dependent going forward. But Josiah Alec, he's had a really good back to back, back to back games as well. So for now, Juwan Gary will remain on uh, on the bench as that that spark plug. But he's had a pretty torrid start since uh, returning from his suspension. Nebraska just played under control. They played their game, and they stayed at their speed, and that's what allowed them to have some big second-half runs, a couple big threes. Even Josiah Alec stepped out and hit a three at one point. Um, they were you know, they were just 9 of 24 from three, but they got you know almost everyone who took one at least made one, um, and that's just a continued continues to show you know the balance the balance scoring attack of this team there's you know the most shots one guy took was Kese with 12 but you know everyone else you know they pretty good distribution of points and shots at shot attempts in the Duquesne game and then on Sunday the Cal State Fullerton game uh, Cal State Fullerton guard Max Jones came into the game averaging 16 a game he also came in averaging 29% from three. Naturally, he goes 5 of 7 from beyond the arc, 10 of 19 from the field for 30. We were kind of on uh, PBA opponent scoring record watch with Max Jones, but he was he was the only semblance of offense Cal State Fullerton really had. When he was not on the court, you know they couldn't score. Their second-leading scorer, Bruton, had 10 points on 16 shots. Um, their offense just looks super stagnant without Max Jones on the court. But Nebraska, you know, this game, this game also was never really in doubt, and it wasn't wasn't the prettiest. But I mean, right away in the post game, the first thing Rick Mass tells us is that the message was we we're not going to apologize for wins. And Mass finished with 19, nine boards, three assists, another very balanced attack. Five guys in double figures. Mass with 19. Kese Tomonaga with 17. 14 for Bryce Williams. 13 for Jawan Gary. Kese and Mass were both 3 of 3 from 3. Nebraska was 12 of 30 from beyond the arc on the day. This game was never really in doubt. Final score makes it look a little closer than it actually was. But, I mean, they were, you know, this the biggest takeaway from both these games against Duquesne and Fullerton, and Fred Hoiberg said it, and the postgame was Nebraska's kind of lost their edge defensively. They aren't uh, they aren't playing with as much physicality or toughness on the defensive end like we saw in those games against Oregon State, Stony Brook, uh, Ryder, 
Uh, they got out rebounded against uh, Duquesne. Cal State Fulton, you know, not nearly as uh, as uh, as tough as Duquesne. Like I said, they only kind of really had the one guy. I don't know if Max Jones has a grad transfer year left. If he does, he's about to get paid. Um, some seems going to come calling for him because he can he can go out and get a bucket. A couple things that did stand out about the Cal State Fortin game. Yes, Nebraska went twelve of thirty from three. There were a couple bad misses in there. Uh, There's a couple Jawan Gary air balls. He made his first two, made his first one. Then there was a couple air balls. C.J. Wilcher threw one off the side of the backboard. He was one for five. Gary was two for seven. Uh, Mast and Kase really picked up the slack. Uh, Williams was two for five, but Nebraska, they're still taking a bunch of threes. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, looking through uh, some of the analytics. Uh, but that, and then, you know, just comes back to closing out games. Um, this Nebraska, their largest lead was, you know, they were up by 19 with, you know, just under five minutes to go. Uh, Cal State Fortin got it down to 13, but, you know, kind of looked like it may have, May get a little close. I mean, it was never really in doubt. Kese hit his third three late. That was definitely, definitely the dagger. But, you know, talking with Rink Mast, we heard from Rink Mast, Fred Hoiberg, after the game on Sunday, immediately asked about the defensive effort. Rink Mast was honest. You know, he said, not great. Um, talked about the offensive rebounds. Talked about you know, some of the things that really stuck out. But Fred Hoiberg said the same thing. He said there's some positives on offense. You know they're sharing the ball, they're taking care of it. You know this game they only had not they had nine turnovers, um, same number of assists, 18, but nine turnovers as opposed to the 18 to two ratio we saw against Duquesne. But um, that's the biggest takeaway through these two games. Um, it's definitely we heard we've heard Fred say that defense needs to be the constant. Uh, thankfully, the offense has been able to pick up, you know, pick up the slack against Duquesne and Cal State Fullerton when the defense has been lapsing a little bit. But going into this stretch, you know, Creighton on Sunday, trip to the barn against Minnesota, Michigan State, and Kansas State. Big next four games. We're going to learn a lot about this team, and I'm sure we may hear about an emphasis on physical, um, you know, tough practices uh, leading in to the Creighton game. But uh, I still think it's a little weird. That it's a whole seven days off between games uh, to lead into that game of all games, but you know we'll see uh, on Sunday for sure. It's and as Rankmast and Fred also both said, it's better to learn from a double-digit win than learn from a twenty-point loss. It makes it a little easier to swallow when they're looking at film the rest of the week. So Cal State Fortin thirteen-point win, Duquesne ten-point win. You know, all these wins have been by double digits. They've won the games they're supposed to win, and they're 7-0 and for the first time in 30-plus years. But looking at a more big picture, um, you know, last three games for Jamarcus Lawrence, he's got 12 assists. He's got no turnovers. Um, we've kind of seen his, you know, it's going to be a game-by-game thing with Jamarcus during this uh during this transition from off an off-ball guard to the lead guard, um, he's definitely been able to push the pace a little bit. His handle has definitely improved since last year, but 12 assists, no turnovers over the last three for Demarcus Lawrence. Not bad for a guy in his first year playing at the lead guard spot. 
Um, this one goes out. This is a shout out to my uh, to Matt over at Husker Hoop Central. He posted the assist leaderboard. Seven games in, Jamarcus Lawrence leading the way with twenty three. Boogie Coleman with twenty assists, as does Rink Mass. He also has twenty assists. Bryce Williams has seventeen through seven games. We've got a balanced uh, scoring attack uh, and a balanced, you know, guys with assists. Nebraska's got a pretty good assists ratio. Um, you know, going. They got plenty of guys who can make a play and make a good pass for an open shot. Um, looking at the analytics, I have I mentioned three sites. Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, and Evan Mayakawa. Old Kenneth Pomeroy's site currently has Nebraska number 46 in the country. That is good for 7th in the Big Ten. There's a lot of green on this page. If you uh, subscribe to Ken Palm or you hear me talking about Ken Palm, uh, if you see the color green, green is good. He's got Nebraska with a top 25 adjusted offensive efficiency in the country. A lot of green on offense, some green on defense too, and not a lot of red. Uh, one thing that does stick out to me, Nebraska is currently 16th in the country, and uh, they track three-point attempts out of field goal attempts, and almost just under half of Nebraska's attempts from the field are three-pointers. I uh, talked about that earlier on one of the earlier episodes. They're currently sitting at 47.9%, which is good for 16th in the country. Um, they are assisting on uh, 64% of their made field goals. Like I said, they got a lot of guys with assists. That's good for 19th in the country. Um, Ken Palm and Torvik, they also do game projections. Uh, Ken Palm says Creighton by one point on Sunday gives Nebraska a 45% chance to win back-to-back against Creighton for the first time since the 90s. Uh, going over to Torvik, Torvik, a little higher on, on the Huskers, has them 31st in the country, good for fourth in the Big Ten. Torvik also has Nebraska pretty highly rated, adjusted offensive efficiency 22nd. Good amount of green on the Torvik page as well. I think the most the thing I like the most about Torvik is the game grades out of 100. Uh, currently the highest rated game for Nebraska is the opener against Lindenwood at a 97, Oregon State at a 96, and the last two games gave the Duquesne game an 88 and the Cal State Fortin game an 89. He has the same projected score for the Creighton game, 73-72, but it gives Nebraska a 49% chance to win. So the analytics see it as a coin flip, uh, or as that Purdue guy said, uh, walking across the field, Scott Frost uh, in 20, years that, 2021, we have a winnable game. <laughs> the analytics see this game as winnable for Nebraska. Um, and then, you know, Minnesota, Michigan State, Kansas State, after that we'll talk about those at a later date. Um, thirdly is Evan Maya Cowes site, evanmaya.com. He's got Nebraska 47th in the country, seventh in the big 10. So the metrics like Nebraska early on, Nebraska was receiving votes and by receiving votes, I mean, they received one single vote in the AP poll this week. Uh, those, that vote came from Dylan sin of the Fort Wayne journal Gazette. He ranked Nebraska at number 22, the way the AP poll rank, uh, works, Points. If you get a first place vote, you get twenty five points. If you get and if you get a twenty fifth place vote, that's one point in between. So Nebraska got four points as a result of the twenty second place vote 
from Dylan uh, Sin. So they were receiving votes. They've called for a red out on Sunday against Creighton. And uh, so last week, um, Thanksgiving week, obviously it's known as Feast Week in uh, college basketball. And the Big Ten, you know, they kind of it was mostly Purdue, but they still had a, not a bad week. Um, kind of, you know, Purdue, Purdue, the new number one team in the country. They won the Maui Invitational, uh, defeated uh, Marquette in the final. Uh, they had wins also over um, who else did they beat? It was yeah, Tennessee. That Tennessee game was a pretty tough hang, but Tennessee was a top ten team in the country. They knock off Gonzaga, Tennessee, Marquette to win the Maui Invitational. They had beaten Xavier in the Gavit game. So Purdue already has a ton of good wins. They're definitely in a class of their own in the conference, but they also, you know, they're carrying the load. Uh, The Big Ten needs some help. That conference strength for sure. Um, Wisconsin, they knocked off Virginia. They kind of tried to right the ship, the little uneasiness going on up in Madison. Still don't really understand the situation with Connor Asesian, who hasn't really played a whole lot. He kind of appears to be in uh, the doghouse with Greg Gard. He did notch, He did log 13 minutes their win over SMU in the Fort Myers tip-off championship, but they defeated Virginia and SMU uh, to win down in Fort Myers. Um, still don't really know what to think of the Badgers uh, in the big picture uh, Minnesota, they got they got worked by San Francisco. Um, Minnesota, Minnesota isn't going to help the league much. Uh, their non-con slate pretty light. San Francisco is a solid team, um, but you know there are some other some other results. Uh, Penn State, they were down at the ESPN Events Invitational, and uh, they went 0 for three. They lost to Texas A&M. Butler and VCU down there, but I think Penn State's probably slotted down at the bottom of the conference with uh, Minnesota as well. Ohio State knocking off Alabama at the Emerald Coast Classic. Um, I like what I've seen from Chris Holtman's Buckeyes so far this season. Uh, that's a big win. Uh, they have one. They have one more big non-con game against UCLA in a couple weeks, but so far I think Ohio State performing above where my expectations were. Bruce Thornton appears to be a dude. Uh, Jameson Battle, he wound up there as well. Still got some guys who feel like they've been in Big Ten basketball forever. But Ohio State, probably the second biggest result um, outside of that Purdue uh, Maui run. Um, Indiana, they're still struggling. Uh, Iowa was okay in the tournament that they were in. Um don't know what to think of Michigan after I went on kind of a tour for a week saying Michigan was overperforming expectations. They go down to the battle for Atlantis, lose to Memphis. Uh, they beat Stanford, who isn't very good, and then kind of just got boat raced by Texas Tech. So I don't know what to think of Michigan right now. Um, but, you know, last week was feast week. This week is kind of conference challenge week. You got ACC, SEC stuff. Big 12, Big East, like I mentioned, with Creighton. And then the first set of conference games is on Friday. Uh, Maryland at Indiana, Purdue at Northwestern. Uh, there's then Illinois at Rutgers is this weekend, as well as Minnesota, Ohio State. But that goes hand-in-hand. Hand. We got the 
Marquette-Wisconsin game, the Wisconsin version of uh, Nebraska-Creighton on Saturday afternoon in Madison, and then the big game at PBA on Sunday. But Big Ten kind of still trying to work uh, to earn back some of that goodwill, but it helps when your conference as the number one team in the country that appears to be in a league of their own uh, with National Player of the Year frontrunner, two pretty good guards in Smith and Lawyer who haven't shown any signs of slowing down. We'll see how the Big Ten performs. Uh, conference games starting this week into next week, the early slates uh, for the Big Ten. Yeah, we'll talk more about the game on Sunday, the state of the rivalry. I made a point that I already got a couple angry responses uh, f- from friends of mine on on uh, Sharp and Hanley in the morning on 1620 on Monday morning. But I will, I will talk at length about the game. Uh, the rivalry, the state of it, my experiences with it on the Creighton preview pod, which will drop later in the week. We got awesome response to the first two episodes. I know this is going to be a little shorter, but we'll be more in-depth as we preview Nebraska Creighton. But we got awesome responses on social media, people who reached out to me individually um, (coughs) from the first two episodes. So, I am incredibly grateful for anyone who left a review, anyone who tuned in. Um, It's been a fun one so far. It'll be a big month of December for Nebraska basketball. If you do not already, you can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter with the Big Ugly X logo on it, at Jacob A. Bigelow. You can check out some of my work for Huskers Illustrated at huskersillustrated.com. You can go subscribe to the magazine where you can get my monthly Bigelow on basketball column in the magazine talking about the state of the program. Maybe some stuff coming soon to the website as well. Um, You can follow the show on that same app at StretchBigPod. Follow the show on your preferred podcast platform. Leave a review. Helps out a ton. Tell a friend. um, And we will see you later in the week for a Nebraska Creighton Preview Pod. But for the first time... Since five and a half years before I was born, Nebraska is 7-0, and oh, and it's not a bad little palate cleanser with uh, how sport, well, men's sports have gone in Lincoln so far. We will talk to you guys later in the week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Stretch Big.